remain standing for the reading of the Word. It comes from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, and verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. I suppose that one of the most difficult things that we do in the Christian life is to fight sin in our lives. They tell us in warfare, you need to know your enemy. And you need to know your ally when you're engaged in a war. And we are engaged in a war. Classically, it has been called we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We'll let the world be this morning and we'll ignore the devil for a while but today we're going to talk about the flesh. And the Apostle Peter here urges us to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And Mark has titled this message, Soul War, Soul Warfare. There's two or three words we need to look at real carefully in this verse to sort of give us an idea of what we're thinking about. Two of them are the flesh and the soul. We are to abstain from the passions of the flesh. These passions are at war against our souls. The flesh is the normal Greek word you would find, sarks. And it is that part of us that is the arena of our desire. It is the place where our passions rule. It is the seat of anger and lust. In fact, the word for passion in this particular passage is the word epithumen, which Thuman, we get our word thumometer, to gauge the heat. And it's the word for heat. It are those things that are inflamed within us, that drive us. Such things as lust and anger, even to some extent fears that drive us in our behaviors. Now, it's important, I think, to realize how oriental in its thinking so much of the scripture is. We tend to be Aristotelian and Socratic and Platonic in our way of thinking, kind of a Western Greek way of thinking. 
And that certainly, of course, is helpful in us understanding, but the ancient Hebrews were more Eastern-oriented, more Oriental. And they looked upon the whole being as a soul, a suke. That is your person, yourself. And it was an integrated psychosomatic unity. The word soma means the body. And we are incredibly integrated. It's hard to think without feeling. It's hard to feel without deciding and choosing. But for purposes of analysis, we, we need to kind of make some distinctions. Not separate these issues of life, but to make some distinctions. And here they are, kind of the old Eastern way of thinking was that there was three areas of the body, the soma. The head was thought of as the mind. It was really the place of motive. It was the place where the sensory perceptions were, the hearing and the tasting and the smelling and the seeing. It was the place where you sort of, it was the antennae that was up to take in the natural world and to give some empirical observation to all those things around. But the real you was kind of from here down. And the center part of the body, the, the chest area, was the, was the center of feeling. It was the center of thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The heart, the lev in the Hebrew, the cardiae in the Greek, is the place where it was seen that you would think and you would feel. And these two were inextricably bound together. It's difficult to be totally objective in thinking without having some feeling involved with it. And we see that in our daily experience, don't we? And this was the center here of the, of the, the body, the, the chest area, the breast, the bosom, the place of affection, the place of feeling. But then there was the lower region, the region of the belly and, be, and below, which was the region of the body that were the bowels. And that's where the drives were, the appetites, hunger, the sex drive, all of the things that move us in those areas of what later psychologists and Western psychologists begin to look at it, primitive drives that we, desires that must be met, satisfactions that must be satiated. This is the area that often is thought of as the region of pleasure in the body. In fact, it's interesting that this word translated passions in our verse is translated in James 4.1 as passions, but it's a different, Hebrew, I mean, different Greek word. It's the word hedonon, hedonism. It is that way of being always in pursuit of pleasure and satisfaction of these base and primitive desires of the body. So when we think about our flesh, we're thinking about all of this together. We're thinking about the suke, the soul, the whole person. We're thinking about our seat of thought, our thinking and reasoning apparatus. We're thinking about our emotions, our affections, our feelings. 
And we're thinking about our drives and desires and ultimately our volitional capacity, our choosing, our saying yes and no, and then the following through of a behavior. The Christian life is a worldview or a particular view of behaviorism. We believe in a lot of things in the Christian faith. We believe in believing. We speak of belonging. We speak of being. Who are we? What is our identity? But there's one that is paramount in Scripture always, and that is behaving. Now, it's interesting in the particular text here that Peter does not enumerate these passions, these desires, these drives, this, this hot pursuit of pleasure in terms of any particularities. In fact, he leaves that to the Apostle Paul. He mentions a few. James mentions a few more, but it's the Apostle Paul that doesn't back down. It's the Apostle Paul that gives us the specifics of what are these passions of the flesh. And they are, if we can be a little bit uh, crass and blunt, uh, sort of listed this way. A full listing is given in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. And I'm going to read that list in just a moment. But first I want us to kind of meditate upon a few of the prime things. The tactic of war, or better I should say more of a strategy of warfare that is given to us by Peter is abstain. Uh, don't do it. Paul uses the word flee. In other words, it's not something we do. It's a behavior. It's an enemy that we recognize. It is something that we recognize it as we should not do it and we then don't do it. It is a negative behavior. We're called upon. And the things that are listed are such things as sloth. Oh my goodness, where did that come from? We're Protestant. What, you know, it's the Catholics that have the sin list. <laughs> oh no. It's the Holy Scriptures. And there's a lot of particulars in there. I just want to touch on a handful of those we don't hammer on too much from the pulpit. Sloth. That is the failure to give your energies to that which is productive and positive, glorifying to God and beneficial to mankind. It is that which makes us put off makes us step aside from responsibilities, not carry our fair share of the load, not step in and do that which we are responsible for doing. It is that which leads to so many maladies in a society. 
So much poverty is due simply to the sin of sloth, sluggardness. Read the book of Proverbs. Read about industry and energy and accomplishment and pursuit of that which is productive. We are to avoid it. Sloth. I'm not going to look at anybody in particular. Gluttony. Gluttony. You see, gluttony just feeds right in to a passion of the flesh because it meets in our flesh a primitive, primal desire. We must have food. We must eat. That's the first provision the Lord made in the garden was to give them all the trees of the garden to eat. That is a huge need that the human has. And God provided for that. I have given you every green herb. You may eat of all the trees of the garden. And then later on in a new era of God's manifest in his opening, he told Peter to rise, kill, and eat. My cousin who visited over the holidays with us from Tennessee is a sportsman. He sets his favorite verse of scripture. He loves to hunt. So his favorite verse of scripture is where the Lord told Peter, rise, kill, and eat. <laughs> so the, the provision is there. It's not abstain from that which the Lord has provided, but it is the excess. It is the abuse. And by abuse, I mean eating the wrong things. The things that are deleterious to our health. And moving into that, since we're simply talking about nothing but kitchen chemistry, it's those things that go into our body that are not nutritious. They do not promote health, not just at the organic level for your heart, your lungs, your liver, your kidney, and all that, but does not promote health at the cellular level where the real health is. We're only as healthy as the three trillion cells in our bodies are healthy. And yet we totally disregard not only the dietary laws of God's Word, but we, in, we don't listen to the science of our own age and we don't even listen to the popular appeals. Instead, we participate in a, an orgy of eating with the sugars and the starches and the toxins and the preservatives that are before us in our modern diet. The scripture is prohibitive. With gluttony always comes drunkenness. We are to abstain from drunkenness. The Bible does not forbid drinking, by the way, to those of us who are teetotalers or think that we're awful close to being teetotalers. We know that it is not forbidden, but drunkenness is. So where's the point in your particular metabolism where you become drunk, where you have the effects of the alcohol upon your system? That's the stopping place right there. Drink well you may. But drunkenness, abstain. Don't do it. And following from that, we have the numerous things that also alter our behavior, which is what we're striving to clean up, what we're striving to build, what we're striving to have right 
and holy before the Lord, our behaviors are, are influenced by a whole array, a whole array of narcotics. The Bible tells us to abstain from those passions of the flesh. Passion can almost be moved and shifted forward a little bit to what we would call an addiction. You must have it for psychological, even for physiological reasons. Abstain from it. Which brings us even to medicines. Did you know the Greek word for pharmacy, pharma, means sorcery, bewitchment, that which is in chance and, in, and misleads and misguides? Abstain from it. There's a sense in which a Christian must be very strict in his understanding and his participation in the modern culture, not only of illicit drugs, but also pharmacy, pharmaceuticals that are prescribed by the handfuls by doctors across the land. It has a deleterious effect upon your soul, your flesh, your body, your entirety, yourself, your person. And it violates God's holiness. Sensuality. Sexuality. Enough said. Narcissism. Making yourself the center of the universe. It leads to such behaviors as obsessive behaviors, which manifest themselves in strife, quarrelings, anger, envy, jealousy, compulsive behaviors, which is a form of robbery of the rights of others. How much time do I have? Oh, I got a long time. Amusements. It's right there in the word. To muse is to think and to meditate, to cogitate upon that which is weighty and that which is difficult and to sort of sort things out and to evaluate life. It even goes to the notion of meditation, which is a cognate of prayer. Musing brings wisdom and insight and self-awareness and thought. But what do we do? We put the negative performative in front of it. The awe. Awe. Amusement. And how much time do we spend in amusement? Watching sports. Playing parlor games and card games. Watching absolutely mind-numbing and meaningless television soap operas, chat shows, and the like. Just amusing ourselves, going to the movies, kind of getting away from it all, unwinding and relaxing. A good thing in itself, but an enemy of our souls when taken to excess. 
I didn't mention the internet, did I? Thoughtlessness. Thoughtlessness. How much do we say and do and how much of our activities are engaged in things that we don't even give a thought to? They're just sort of mindless habits that consume the valuable moments of our souls and deprive us of dealing with the real issues that affect us. No wonder we're weak spiritually. No wonder we have no discipline. Discipleship is nothing other than discipline. Not just the classic disciplines of reading the Bible, a daily devotion, studying of the scripture, prayer and meditation, but the real disciplines of saying no and walking away from and reaching down and then backing off and saying, not me, not this time. As we read in our scripture earlier, well, there's no temptation taken us which is, except that which is common to man. We all live in the same place, on the same surface of the same planet, breathe the same air, and we've all got the same DNA and the same body chemistry. We are all offspring of a single pair. And the Lord knows us absolutely down to the last scintilla of our souls. He know, the Bible says He knows our frame. He knows our weaknesses and our frailty. And yet He still calls upon us to separate ourselves to Him in this holiness. The pursuit of comfort and the pursuit of convenience. Now that's something that really does hit our modern generation pretty heavy. In the old days, the comforts and conveniences were more sparse. But in our day, we have one. We don't have to do anything hardly anymore. We're getting where now we don't even have to reach out and touch the button. We just talk to the machine. We don't have to look anything up. We just ask Siri or who else. More and more and more we have gotten addicted to and dependent upon inactivity, thoughtlessness, and comforts and convenience. And if there's anything that will make you flabby, Physically, it's lack of exercise. And if there's anything that will turn you into a, a spiritual slob, it is lack of discipline in your life. And we live there. That's what we do. We've got a whole list. I'm going to stop now because we're out of time. But let me read a couple of things for you. I think that'll be help. This is pretty, this is pretty uh, tough stuff, Ron. And we need to hear the word of the Lord. We've heard you for enough. We need to know the enemy in warfare, and that is our flesh. As the old preacher said, his worst enemy is the enemy that is enemy, enemy, ourselves. Well, there's an ally. We have an ally in this battle, 
And it's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. There is no holiness, no matter how legalistic you become, no matter how much you abstain, no matter how disciplined you determine you're going to be, no matter how you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and strap on your belt and prepare for warfare, you're not ready to stand unless you're standing in the power of the Spirit of God. And listen to the way Paul brings us this gospel. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing, see it's activity, it's behavior, doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. He's going to list some of them. You've heard about a few of them this morning. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, pharma, enemy, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the, ex the list is not exhaustive. He says, and things like these, there's more. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do, it's behavior. It's the, it's the word for action. Those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's Paul. Is there any gospel? Well, one of the most beautiful little preachings of the gospel in this regard is found in our Confession of Faith. It's chapter 13. It's a couple of paragraphs on sanctification. Sanctification means that which is our growth in grace and our making of ourselves more Christ-like and more godly and more holy. And listen to the way it's stated so positively. Those who were once effectually called and regenerated, having a new heart and a new spirit created to them, are further sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. Let's nail that down right now. You're not going to be saved by cleaning up and reforming your life. That's been handled by the saving work of God through Christ the Son and through the Spirit. But let's continue. By His Word and Spirit dwelling in there, the dominion of the whole body of sin is destroyed, and the several lusts of it are more and more weakened and destroyed, and they more and more make alive and are strengthened in all saving grace to the practice of true holiness. This sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life. There remaining some remnants of corruption in every part, from which arises a continual and irreconcilable war. The flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. In which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail. Oh, that's an understatement. The prevailing corruption of the time may much prevail. Yet, through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part does overcome. There is victory. And so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness 
in the fear of God. May God grant it to us this year.